It's time to play ball. Welcome to the podcast with no limits. Whether it be sports, current events, or random thoughts, this is the place to step in and stay a while. Your host is a proud alumnus of Rio Hondo Prep, a former minor league baseball umpire, and a man with strong opinions. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast and your host, Matt Persima. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. Safe, get home safe. Wow, excuse me there early this morning. Haven't had enough coffee as always. Welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. But uh, happy Friday to everybody out there, a Friday edition of the podcast. That means we have a wonderful guest for you guys today. Something, somebody that will hopefully inspire you and just hearing their story. I, I love hearing people's journey through their life, hearing about their adversity, hearing about overcoming things and achieving great things as well. So that's kind of what the Fridays are about, just having a conversation with somebody. And today we're going to hear from someone that I've actually never met before. He was introduced to me by my good friend, Todd Carson, of course. Todd's given me a few great guests uh, over the past few months, and uh, this is another uh, great one indeed. Uh, Today I'm going to talk with Robbie Burns. Robbie Burns is uh, a snowboarder uh, in the uh, attempting to make the Olympics, uh, the Olympic, the U S Olympic team. Uh, he was, uh, in position to make the Olympics the last time around. Uh, apparently he was, uh, the third best snowboard snowboarder for the United States, but they only took two. So, uh, he is attempting to make it again here upcoming in, uh, in the Olympics that will be in China. So we'll hear about, uh, his story, his journey, his, his attempt really to make this happen. Uh, hopefully, uh, in in uh, in a short while, we'll be seeing him in the Olympics competing. Hopefully, winning a medal, and uh, we can look back to this moment when we talk to him on the Get Home Safe podcast. So, I don't know much about Robbie, uh, his story, his life, his journey. Uh, I, I want to talk to him about what it's like to uh, get so close to a goal, really, and coming up short. What that does to you mentally, if that fuels you more if that knocks you down or if uh you know uh to just to be in that position is just something that is that is uh bless is a blessing to you and something that that motivates you so a lot of a lot of that type of talk today i think we're going to go into so uh let's not waste any more time it's friday edition of the podcast it's all about our guests so let's dive right into it uh i'm i am very looking forward to this conversation with future olympian robbie burns Okay, joining me today is Robbie Burns, who is a professional snowboarder, a hopeful for the 2022 Olympics. He's joining us from Mount Shasta, California today. Good morning, Robbie Burns. Hey, good morning, Matt. Happy to be here. Awesome, man. Awesome. Uh, You know what? I haven't talked to many uh, potential future Olympians, so this is really a a pleasure for me, Robbie. Uh, I got to thank my good friend, Todd Carson, and your cousin in law would that be would that be the official term i'm not sure <laughs> i think that sounds official enough for me uh, todd's a great guy i'm super happy that he gave us the opportunity to uh, have a conversation together yeah man definitely tell me about uh, talk to me about todd i've known him a long time he coached me at one time and then he uh i coached alongside him and then he and i are just such good friends now he's been a such a great supporter of the podcast and uh i mean uh, you he married Carla, your your cousin, and I'm sure you've seen him and talked to him a few times. What are your what are your takes on the uh, the one and only Todd Carson? 
<laughs> the one and only Todd Carson. Uh, you know, it was, uh, it was crazy at first because uh, when Todd and Carla got married, I was knee deep in um, firefighting during the summers and snowboarding in the winters. And so I had never met Todd and uh, I ended up at their wedding uh, and, and I got to meet him. Uh, and then they went back down to Southern California and we didn't really see too much of them because, you know, Todd was really invested and he had, he had put his roots down into, uh, uh, I believe a high school baseball program, um, among other things and his teaching. And so they were down there. I didn't really get too many chances to interact with them. And then, uh, and then, you know, we all, the whole family, cause our entire family pretty much grew up within a 15 minute radius of each other in Northern California. So we got the note that, you know, Carla and Todd are moving up and uh, all of a sudden Todd's taking a job at a local high school teaching. Next thing you know, he's coaching a high school uh, football team, baseball team. And he's just, he's jumping into all these things and it's like, wow, man, this, this is pretty cool. You know, <laughs> we, we found a transplant who's uh, literally just jumping into the seam of um, helping grow our youth um, and, and not just on sports fields, but uh in the classroom and, and helping to striving to make quality individuals who are going to go out and be successful in the world. So I'm a big fan of Todd yeah. Carson. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, thanks for saying that. He's a very good friend of mine. Someone I trust more than probably anyone in the world. And, and uh, yeah, you, you said it right there. He's been doing that his whole life, just giving to others. And Todd only knows one speed. He knows one speed diving into something uh, full heartedly. So uh, yes, yes. We won't praise him this entire show, but thanks Todd for setting up this, this interview. Uh, Robbie, it's good to meet you, man. I've never, we've never talked before. This is, this is uh, totally, uh, totally real. This is no, uh, you know, not scripted at all. Uh, we're going to talk about your hopefully Olympic journey here and also professional snowboarding and, and a lot of different things, but Todd introduced you to me through, t through a message. And he said, uh, Robbie Burns finished third, as far as the U S Olympic team went, they only took two guys in 2018. So if I'm messing that up, uh, please explain to me what your current situation is with uh, uh, USA professional snowboarding. Yeah, definitely. So, um, you know, most sports in the United States are by and large governed by uh, not-for-profit programs that have been put together to manage a certain governing body for a sport internationally. Um, the reason for this is the Sports Act of 1978. It was written into law, into legislature, which pretty much took the U.S. government's hands off of professional sport within the United States. So while the United States absolutely has an Olympic team, absolutely has an Olympic committee, um, for the most part, they keep their hands off of athletes, off of the support of athletes, off of um, preparing athletes and uh, grooming them to become the people who potentially our country is going to send to compete for us to win medals um, at the greatest event ever, the Olympics. So for U.S. snowboarding, um, essentially, we have a conglomerate of privatized snowboarding programs throughout the United States that are all catering to the needs of elite level Olympic quality athletes who are all trying to go to the Olympics. Now, our governing committee comes up with rules, bylaws, um, things that we have to follow, things we have to do, and basically gives us a list. It's like, here's what you need to do to qualify. Here's where you need to go, and here's where, where your level needs to be for us to send you to the Olympics. And then it's on the onus of the athlete um, to not only make that happen mentally, physically, but also financially. So each athlete is kind of, in a sense, privateer. 
So we're all, we're all um, in our own individual sports, respectfully, we are focused on getting better, on practicing, on training, on figuring out how to make that work within the context of our lives in a way where the U.S. Olympic Committee will look and say, hey, such and such, Robbie Burns, he's got a really good chance of going to the Olympics. He's ranked in the top 30 in the world. He almost went in 2018. Um, he's had some of his best results of his career in the last two years. We want to continue his progress towards the 2022 Winter Olympics. So then you have basically just a, a, a series of hoops that you have to jump through as an athlete. They say, here, we need you to register as if you're going. We need you to fill out these applications. We need you to make sure that all your passports in order, all your visas are in order, all your vaccines and shots are in order. It is a requirement to be vaccinated to go to the, US, the, to the Winter Olympics. So for any athlete who does not want to get vaccinated, you will not be able to compete in China during the 2022 Winter Olympics, which personally for me, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of that. I think it's appropriate for athletes that are all going to be going and competing with each other um, at this high of a level to be vaccinated. And I think that we're a relatively uh, low risk group for people who are going to have adverse effects from the vaccine. Anyway, so that was a long winded way of saying I almost went in 2018. I was a runner up. So two guys went out of the three of us being considered. I did not get a go. And uh, that ultimately, through a lot of struggle and hardship, lit a fire and kept a fire going for me, a fire that's been going for, for nearly 20 years um, of really having this dream of performing at the highest level in my sport and doing everything I possibly could to follow it. Here we are five months away, actually a little bit less than five months uh, from the 2022 Winter Olympics. And I'm in a very similar spot. There are three guys being considered we have a list of qualification races to go to. Uh, and should we do well enough in those qualification races, we'll get the nod from the U.S. Olympic Committee to go to the Olympics for the United States of America. Wow. Lots to unpack there. Uh, <clears throat> so upcoming, you said a few months away, uh, what exactly is, is that time frame, timeline? Will, it, will that competition be here in the United States or will you have to go to China uh, the pre-Olympic uh, trials or whatever. I don't know the terminology, so forgive me. But yeah, so what, what exactly will have to happen? Yeah, so within, within most winter sports, um, for us, we are governed internationally by the Federation of International Skiing and Snowboarding. Federation of International Skiing and Snowboarding uh, puts on World Cup events for all sports, skiing and snowboarding. So when you think about the ski jumping, when you think about the cross country, when you think about the biathlon, you know, the guys that go shoot the little pellet guns, and then they also do the cross country skiing, yeah. basically everything ski and snowboard related is governed by this federation. And they put on world cup events all around the world um, for us to have a competition season to go compete and show our worth, show, show what we're good at, show what we can do. Uh, so this is the professional series, the highest level of skiing and snowboarding around the world. Um, in many ways, you can just say the most similar thing to this in the United States would be your Major League Baseball, your, your NFL, um, your NHL. Only difference being um, our privatized versions of sport are extremely lucrative and these international sports are not as lucrative. So money is, is not so much the uh, driving factor here. Um, for these athletes. And I don't think money is the driving factor for the athletes in the United States either. It's a bunch of people who are incredibly good at doing things 
better than we can really fathom, you know, because when you really look at the statistics, you know, things like uh, college football to the, to the NFL, 0.08% of college athletes in the United States go on to become part of the National Football League. Yeah. But that doesn't stop. That doesn't stop the entire population from looking at it and going, maybe, maybe my son, maybe my daughter, maybe, maybe I will be one of those guys that's in the NFL. But when you look at the statistics and the percentages, we're looking at very small numbers of people who are giving us a very large part of our um, weekly excitement, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, at, you know, as someone who, you know, refereed and umpired and coached and, and did all these things. Yeah. I saw a lot of parents that way, a lot of kids even, and then he, uh, who are just like, oh yeah, I'm going to the pros or, and it's like, or I'm going even, even take it even further. Like kids in high school are like, Hey, I'm going to go play college ball. And then they re- they realize, oh, this is totally different. I'm not the best kid in, in the town anymore. Uh, there's a lot of best kids from many towns. It's, <laughs> and it just, it's a, it's a trick, not a trickle down effect, but a ripple up effect, however you want to say it. And yeah, it, it is interesting that I think people, learn those lessons that, uh, you know, very wide-eyed and it's just, it's shocking to some people just how good good is, you know, these college football teams will have, you know, five quarterbacks, for instance, that were all everything and could probably be great somewhere else. It's just the depth chart and all those things. So for you to be one of the top three guys in the entire United States, first of all, really says something, something about your skills. Uh, I, I must add, but uh, I, I want to ask you about the, the, the concept of, you talked about that fire still going, you know, you came up just short. You, you, you got to the one yard line basically for uh, you know, to kind of paint a picture and you came up short and what, how does that motivate you without, I don't know, bringing you down, making you just fade away and be like, Oh man, I got so close. I can't, I have nothing left. How does, how did that motivate you rather than uh, cripple you for instance? Well, I, I think the most transparent answer to that question that I'll, I'll try and explain a little more in depth is uh, it does both. Uh, it certainly does both. And really, uh, I don't know if you've, you've ever followed like, you know, Facebook or, you know, any of the social media outlets, but especially Facebook or TikTok, maybe they'll have these little snippets of stories about Olympic journeys for athletes around the world. And you'll see like, uh, like an Olympic powerlifter from, I think she was from the Philippines and she, uh, her first Olympics was like 2006 and she went in 2006 and she, she was terrified. She ended up just, um, totally failing her lift, a lift that she had done thousands of times. She couldn't do it. And then four years later, she goes back again and, and she ends up completing her lifts and she finishes dead last. And then the dead last becomes, you know, 45th. And then the 45th becomes 16th. And then the 16th becomes three gold medals at the Olympics. And that's over the course of an entire career, almost an entire athletic lifetime. So she started this when she was like 16. And now six Olympics later, 24 years later, She's still going after the same thing. And she went from failing to not doing well, to doing a little bit better, all the way up to getting gold medals at this last Olympics. And to me, like that sort of story, like there's nothing else that can raise the hair on my back faster. And, and I think for me, it's, it's so much bigger than the Olympics. It's so much bigger than the athletic pursuit. It's like, it's a life pursuit that I think all of us are pretty much 
like doing in a similar way at the same time. And yeah, it looks completely different. And there is something to be said for um, athletic ability and talent. And, and that, that, doesn't, that, that, that doesn't always come together in a way to make someone have the opportunity to try and do something like this. But we also can cover all the other factors, which I think can be seen so similarly. You know, some people can't financially figure out how to do something. Some people can't figure out how to do it mentally. Some people can't figure out how to get past the desires of their family and friends. You know, so it's very hard, I think, to, um, to quantify what the fire still burning looks like. But I think for me, ultimately, it was going through some really challenging um, periods of depression, wondering what my life was going to be without snowboarding in it. Um, and really like trying to put, put context and wrap my head around the idea that snowboarding wasn't my only identity. Because for almost the last 30 years, snowboarding has been my identity. It's given me clarity in all of my tasks. It's given me clarity in all of my performances and accomplishments on and off the race hill in and out of snowboarding. I went to college and I got two degrees and I did that because I wanted to get that out of the way so I could go snowboarding. It was one of my prerequisites. I was like, I want to get these degrees because everyone says it's smart to do. And once I get them, then I can just shove all this crap to the side and I can start focusing on my snowboarding. And, and so for me, like not going to the 2018 Winter Olympics was was just absolutely devastating. Um, and it was something that I had spent, you know, nearly 20 years dreaming about, 10 years planning for and working towards. And like, you know, you put all that into one bottle, that one person, and, and like, it's really easy to see how that person finds their identity in snowboarding or in the pursuit of snowboarding or in the pursuit of, of, football or baseball or, or being a CEO or, or being the best doctor they can be. And, and, and for me, I think it's going to take the rest of my life to completely unbox that, that full identity of who I am and what I can be. Um, but man, it's, it's been a huge learning curve. Um, and, and snowboarding has been a huge vessel for that learning curve of learning. Like, yeah, I really love this thing and I'm down to pour my heart and soul into it, but it's also not me. It's something I love to do. It's something I want to do to the best of my ability, but I am so much more than a kid who goes as fast as he can down a race slope and hopes to be the best in the world at it. That's not, that's not all there is to the story. And and coming to that conclusion, easier said than done, but um, it's like, I've always had this feeling that there was much more for me to learn in life, much more for me to learn in snowboarding. And that's that fire that for me, um, no matter what I went through, no matter how depressed I was or how sad I was about um, circumstance, life circumstance, that I always came back to this very, very clear direction that I wanted to keep pursuing snowboarding. I wanted to keep learning. And that is like, it's like an inextinguishable fuel. You know, the rain comes, the snow comes, the, the cold comes, the winter comes, winter is coming. Right. But um, there's just, uh, there's something in there for me that like, 
no, I'm not done yet. Yes, I'm very clear. I'm willing to work extremely hard to go do what needs to be done to achieve my goals. So, so to sum all that up, what would be your advice to someone who has a goal, maybe a lifelong goal or a short-term goal, something that they have pursued and given uh, their heart and soul into and, and the person that does come up just short. And for some of us, there is no next season. There is no next Olympics. You, some goals you, you push for, you come up short and that's it. There is no second chance. But for a lot of, a lot of other times in life, there are, there is still another day to pursue this. So what would be your, your extent, your advice? I, sh- I should say to people who are pursuing something that come up just short. I think that's a really good question. <clears throat> I think probably the first thing that I would encourage people to, to try and remember is uh, to get away from black and white thinking. Mm to get away from the idea that it's this or that. Oftentimes we're, we're growing and we're trending and we're working towards something and it doesn't almost never comes out the way that you thought it was going to. Like you had this plan in the beginning. Cool. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. And that's going to lead me all the way to my goal. And then it doesn't work out that way. And, and you get there and there's so much frustration to be found and so much disappointment to be found in the black and white thinking of, well, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be, <laughs> you know, and it just, it leads down this dark rabbit, it can lead down this dark rabbit hole of shoulda, coulda, woulda, if then what, you know, and, and, and really ultimately that journey that journey can be so rewarding and, and I think it teaches you for a lot longer than you're in it. You know, so, so if you spent a year doing something and you had a goal for the end of that year, you're like, I'm going to lose 40 pounds by the end of this year. I don't care what it takes. I'm just going to lose 40 pounds by the end of this year. And you worked your butt off for that whole year and it was painful and it was miserable. And then you get to the end of that year and you lost 37 pounds you know, and, and I've seen it so many times in athletics, in my own life and other people's lives that that 37 pounds was a failure because I didn't hit 40. I said I was going to hit 40 in a year and I did not hit 40. Yeah, but you, you got 37 and in every single one of the classes I've ever taken in life or in school, 37 out of 40 is still an A. Mm-hmm. And like, I think it's really easy to get caught up in the fact that, you, you know, I didn't make it to the Olympics gosh, I'm a failure because I was there. I spent a lot of time there, but truthfully, like I got to experience every single piece of, of, of that journey, except for that little crowning jewel at top that said, I went to the Olympics and I'm an Olympian. I did the rest of it. And, and that was, that was, and is still teaching me that like, those are the spectacular moments, like the whole journey up to the point where I almost made it, where I got the letter that said, I'm not going, where I got the phone call. I was like, Hey, you know, great job. We're proud of you, but um, you're not going to the Olympics. You know, that was like oh, the hardest phone call ever. I, I cried for days on end. I cried with my teammates, my teammate who I was in the same hotel room was going and I wasn't. And, and we sat there and we cried about it. You know, he was two weeks out from an Olympic birth and I was getting ready to fly home to watch him compete in the Olympics. And like, I cherish those moments today. They were some of the most painful moments of my life, but I cherish them. So I guess what, 
what you're going through right now seems like the end of a chapter or a story and it seems like the end of the world uh, but it's not and and it's going to teach you and someday what teaches you is going to help somebody else and it's important it's important to people you haven't met yet it's important to situations you haven't experienced yet it's so true. I mean, you know, you hear that all the time, you know, enjoy the ride, enjoy the journey. You know, it's not always about the, the start and the end. It's about the in-between. And there's a lot of truth to that. I'm sure you've come across relationships uh, with colleagues or, or friends or whoever along this, this journey of yours that will live with you throughout a lifetime. And, and it's not just about that, that phone call you got. Uh, now, all that said, uh, when you do make that Olympic team, when, when you do excel in the Olympics, uh, that will also be a whole nother level of achievement. But I think so, you're right on the black and white issue. Sometimes we get so caught up in wins and losses that uh, we don't think about uh, the game itself. For instance, I, I watch a lot of sports, right? And I have my teams. Yeah, I'm, I'm upset when they lose. I'm happy when they, when they win. But sometimes I watch games that I'm not even a fan of, just teams. And, you know, when I come away saying, man, that was a good game. Not, oh, hey, the, uh, you know, the Bills won or, hey, the, oh, yeah, the Cowboys won. But like when I come away saying, man, that was a good game. It's not about the end result. It's about the experience. So there is a lot of truth to that. And, and I've, I look at myself, Robbie, and, you know, all the goals and things I, I had in high school and college and, and, and uh, where am I going to be when I'm 30? Now I'm 36. But, uh, you know, a lot of those things I didn't achieve, I didn't accomplish. But then. You achieve other things that you never would have thought you would have accomplished. It's just funny how life does work that way. Sometimes that you are, you're dead on set on something here and it takes you into a, a, another Avenue. So um, we're, we're cheering for you, man. That is, that is really awesome here upcoming uh, that, that you can potentially uh, hopefully uh, make that, make that Olympic team. And uh, one other thing I want to ask you about, in the Olympic sport, the, the Olympic athletes, uh, you know, in football, it's you train all week. It's one game a week, three hours, whatever, uh, in boxing fighting. It's like every few months you're training and you compete once every, uh, few months, but some of these Olympic sports, I know there's other competitions before then. It's always been an astonishing to me that these athletes train for a moment every four years, four years of preparing for something. Uh, to me, that dynamic is just so interesting. So take me through, if you will, with Olympians, Olympic athletes, Olympic sports, where that, that four years of training, like what that is like, if there's other competitions you do to keep you sharp or kind of what's all that about? Well, it's, it's definitely a process. Uh, and it's a process that takes at least four years um, to, to accomplish from start to finish. Uh, important to note that each sport is, is very different. Um, the sports of ski racing and snowboard racing have strikes, striking similarities. Um, one being, you know, we train for three to four hours a day on snow in the winter, um, followed by some, some physical preparations in the gym and, then when we're actually training on snow, you know, each training runs 30 to 45 seconds long. And so all the physical training, all the mental preparation, all those things, you know, they're, they're all eventually going to come down to what you can do on a race course in 30 to 45 seconds. Wow. And so it's, it's incredibly, um, 
I guess it's it's very challenging to first wrap your head around what that what that means. And to me, what that means, or what I've learned, it means is um, an athlete who, who's going to be successful on a race day has put in the time, put in the work, put in the hours, gained um, a certain level of mental maturity to be able to harness the kind of focus it takes to put all of their best faculties of that that person, everything that they've done, to put that all on display, operating at 100% for 45 seconds. And that's ultimately what it takes to, to go win a medal or to become competitive to, to win a medal. Um, and I think, I think similar things can be said of, of each play in a football game or each pitch in a baseball game, um, you know, is that it takes an incredible level of focus uh, to be able to put all those pieces together, you know, those home runs and those, those game winning touchdowns and those field goals. Like it's one thing to go out to your local football field and kick football through a set of uprights and say, man, you know, this isn't that hard, you know, how, how do you miss that kick last Sunday? But like when you're doing it in front of 10 million people or 10,000 people or a thousand, and, and there's a lot on the line, um, you can't really grasp what that feels like unless you've been there. And once you're there, you recognize, wow, it takes a lot to keep my mind clear, to keep my focus, um, to keep my heart rate down. Right up until that moment where it needs to go shooting through my chest in excitement. Like it takes a lot to put all those things together and, and, to, and to control them. And um, yeah, so four years, four years of preparation for that looks like a lot of long summers, two a days in the gym, six days a week, meditation for me, uh, a lot of visualization practice. Visualization, I think, is huge uh, in terms of, of what it can do for, for athletes, but also for just individuals in life. Um, tapping, I don't know if you've ever heard about tapping, a guy named George War Warburton um, really brought it to the United States and uh, made it popular through the Oregon State Beavers baseball team um, and their winning success over the last decade. He was a huge part of their pitching staff and um, showing him this technique for tapping different points on your body to uh, bring in focus and bring in intention. Hmm. Super cool stuff. If you ever get a chance to read about it. Um, Let's see here. So those are the specific things that have really helped me in my career. But I think um, that in combination with the winter training and living life, I think I think there's a maturation piece to, to my sport, especially. But um, I think, you know, people like people like Tom Brady, I think, are really good examples of this on a totally elite scale is that like when you see Tom Brady, I mean, he looks younger today than he did when he was, you know, first getting into the league. <laughs> yeah. He looks amazing. He's in the best shape of his life. And I think the ability to harness those things, I think that um, is almost on like a separate trajectory as to everything else in life. Cause we always see life as this kind of linear thing. You know, you're getting older, you're getting, all these things are happening. You're getting more successful. It's all going this way, you know, but at the same time, we're normally used to saying, yeah, that's all happening, but you're also getting slower. You're also getting fatter. You're also dumber. And yeah. So for Tom Brady, both of those lines are going up. 
And I think, I think that part of, part of his success is the maturity of the mental process that allows him to stay on top of his game. And that, that absolutely came over time. He didn't have that when he entered the league. He no. had fight, he had passion, he had fire. And, and he used those things. He wasn't even that good when he first got into the league. And he used those over the course of, you know, 22 years to get to where he's at now. And now he's kind of this like self-perpetuating aura of football that we all look at and we're like, yep, that's just, that's just Tom Brady. You know, it's, it's unexplainable how he does what he does at the age that he's at. It's unbelievable. And Tom Brady yeah, is, I mean, people are tired of, of talking about, of hearing from him, but he's, he's an anomaly really. And, and it's just, it, it begs the point, like, why can't more people do that? And it's, you know, over the course of all this time, I mean, there's been a few, like, you know, Michael Jordan comes to mind. Um, I, I've heard Tiger Woods is, is quite the, the competitor. It's about that daily grind. And, you know, all, and that's the thing is we talked about earlier with professional athletes and college athletes and how big of a, uh, how small the pond gets or whatever the saying is, you know, everybody works hard. Everyone does. No one in the, no one in the NFL doesn't work hard, but it's working harder. It's just, it's that one, one more inch, one more percent, one more you know, how much more can I do than other people? And so that to me is what is really inspiring why I love sports, because it's, it's an area you can actually see it. You can see the difference, you know, like, like you mentioned there and Tom Brady is just, you know, we're, we're, some people are getting tired of him. I'm like, well, I'm going to keep watching the guy. Cause he's, he's truly amazing. No one should be doing what he's doing at, at his age. Uh, but anyway, uh, so, so Robbie, yeah. And focusing for 40 seconds, that's actually about all I can ever do is 40 seconds. Uh, one of the best classes I ever took was a sports psychology class by Ken Revisa, who's world renowned, uh, has passed away since, but, uh, Oh, did we, let me see. Did we lose you, Robbie? We may have lost Robbie. Hang on. Okay. After some technical difficulties, we've uh, made some arrangements here. Robbie is now outside, but anyway, uh, Robbie, you're bundled up. How, it looks like a beautiful day out there in Mount Shasta, man. Man, it is, you know, it's, it's clear that uh, fall, if not winter is, is in the air. It's actually warmer out today with the sun beating down on me, but uh, it's been, it's been getting down into the, I think the upper twenties and, in the middle of the night and uh, right now it feels like it's about 50 out but it's gorgeous absolutely yeah. gorgeous here well well us in southern california you know southern california it gets to be in those 50s we start to get a little soft down here i mean we're, uh, let's be honest uh, we're not very tough when it comes to weather so <laughs> <laughs> anyway so uh, i was saying robbie about um one of the best classes i ever took was a sports psychology class and ken revisa was world renowned he folk his big uh, expertise was uh, was baseball, but also uh, Olymp some Olympic sports, specifically like gymnastics. And we had this, we had this athlete in our class. She was a swimmer, and I remember she wrote on the chalkboard. He goes, "Okay, I want you to go to the chalkboard, and I want you about the the, the pace of your race, uh, how long your race takes, and uh, and draw a line basically like you're racing." And then, so she did that, checked her heartbeat, and then he we did it again with the class like cheering for her she's not swimming she's not in a pool she's at a marker board just he goes i want you to breathe like you would uh and and he was basically simulating this race for her it was fascinating checked her heartbeat uh heart rate after her heartbeat after and uh, her pulse it was it was through the roof as compared to just doing it by herself but when you threw cheering in the mix that was just an example of 
the type of psychology, psych, uh, sports psychology stuff that we did in that class. So uh, when you when you talk to me about 40 seconds, right, be your best for 40 seconds, it kind of uh, brought in those those memories. And so what, what are some other off the field, off the off the hill, I should say, uh, techniques and things you use to prepare yourself mentally when you can't always do it physically? Sure, sure. Well, uh, I think a really good point that you brought up there is that uh, you really, you really can never predict exactly what race day is going to bring, especially when you're at the whims of, of Mother Nature. And so, you know, there's there's the the mental aspect, which arguably is the most important. You know, a lot of people say the ninety ten rule is ninety percent mental, ten percent physical, and I think that's true if the physical is well prepared. And so, you know, what I do off the slopes to prepare for those 40 seconds, as much as it is physical, you know, the, the time in the gym, getting used to having my, my heart rate at a, 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 an elevated rate, you know, so getting prepared for being at 180 beats per minute and knowing that that's going to be coming. That's, that's my work in the gym. My work in the gym is make sure I'm strong enough, make sure I'm fit enough, make sure that my cardiovascular system is working properly. My metabolic system is working properly. And so that all comes down to diet. That all comes down to gym training. But, but then there's also these other pieces that are the mental training. And uh, I mentioned meditation earlier. Meditation is a big part of my program. Uh, Meditation allows my, my brain to unwind and allowing my brain to unwind in a way where I can more realistically forecast what's going to come up for me in those challenging and stressful moments during a race. And I can be prepared for them in a way where I'm not surprised by what comes up. I'm not surprised by the voices that come up, by the fear that comes up, because fear is a part of everything. Um, it's, it's always present. And I think how we choose to relate to it really is one of the most important factors to being able to show up on a race day and perform well in spite of what our own mind throws at us, in spite of what the world throws at us, in spite of what mother nature throws at us. Um, trying to dig deep into some of my, some of my more important trainings that I've been able to, to really use. So uh, a guy named Barry Robbins, uh, he's the uh, current CEO or chairman of the sports energy and consciousness group out of San Francisco. And I did a lot of work with him leading up to 2018. And one of the most important pieces uh, that he was able to gift to me through training was this idea of focus surrender. And I think focus surrender is something that is applicable to, to every aspect of, of human life is, is that, you know, you, you, you go through all, all the steps of preparing well for, for an event, for a meeting, for a big conversation. And at the end of all that preparation, there's almost a, a what now moment. Like, okay, I've, I've done all the things and I'm here and I'm about to pull out of the start gate of this incredibly important race to my career. What's next? And that, that idea of focus surrender is being able to allow yourself to accept that you're showing up just as you are right here, right now. And win, lose, or draw, I accept that I've, I've put in the work, I've put in the effort, and I can surrender to that. 
and in surrendering to it is uh, is one of the best ways that that I've been able to find flow, not just in my snowboard career, but in my life is, hey, we're here. We're here right now. We're present. There's nothing that I can do right this moment that is going to drastically change my performance or my ability. Those hours and those moments, they've been put in over a long period of time. I can trust that. I can trust myself and I can just let go of of these thoughts and these patterns and really surrender to to my own ability to, to perform. And so, yeah, I think meditation and focus surrender, um, we talked a little bit about tapping. Um, we talked about the sports psychology aspect a little bit, but I think it all really comes down to trusting yourself, uh, trusting your process and allowing, allowing uh, our better nature to take over, allowing our better nature to come in and say, all right, I'm here, I'm trained, I'm physically prepared, I'm mentally prepared. Let's go do what we came here to do. Absolutely. Uh, I remember when I was, when I was umpiring baseball, I'd be, you know, this 150 game season or whatever. And I, I would just, there was nights I just, I did not want to be there. And uh, it's, it's weird being an official because people aren't cheering for your performance. They're usually the other way. Uh, and, and so I, you have to really lock in a focus at times. And there was moments I always, for me, it was the, it was the top of the American flagpole, not the flag itself, but the very top of the pole. If something was going wrong, if there was issues, or I was just starting to feel myself mentally lose it, I would always pick that spot on a, on a baseball field. I'd find that flagpole. And that would be my trigger. Kind of like my bring it all down, bring it all. Okay. Now I'm okay. Now I'm ready to go. Kind of let that to comment that, that you said, what was that? Uh, uh, focus and, or focus surrender, focus surrender. Yeah. I like that terminology. That's really, really, really good. And so things like that would help me. And I like the mental side of, of, of athletics because so much of it, you see the physicality, how big guys are, how, how ripped they are, their, their physical skill, but the mental side of things to your point, 90, 10, that really is what separates people. And some people can't handle the stress of it all. I mean, we saw that in, in recent Olympics, you, you talked already uh, kind of um, briefly about like depression. I mean, th- there was things that if you're not mentally strong in athletics, that you will crumble uh, the, at the first, the first sight of sign of uh, adversity, right? Definitely. And, and, Again, like we talked about how in my sport, some of the guys who are uh, the most successful and consistently successful are, are actually older. And the one thing I really appreciate about this sport that, that I love so much is, is that there, there's an ability to be um, physically dominant later in life, which I think, you know, with the exception of a few names in, in American sports that we've already covered, the Kobe Bryant's, the Michael Jordan's, the uh, Scotty Pippins, the uh, Tom Brady's is like, you know, whether you want to compare those guys on the same level or the same echelon, you know, that's, I think, totally subjective. But um, I think they've found a way to be successful later in their careers. And I think maturity is such a big part of that. And that maturity, that mental maturity sometimes happens early for athletes, sometimes happens later. But what it allows them to do is it allows them to really 
find a place where they where they trust their program, they trust their coaches, they trust their equipment, and they trust their own mental, spiritual, physical processes enough to to let those voices come and go. You know, because there's always going to be a point in time where you go, holy cow, I'm really nervous today. I'm exceptionally nervous. Or, you know what, I woke up a little bit tired. Shoot, I woke up with a little bit of a cold. And recognizing that that cold or that nervous energy or or whatever it is 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 just a piece of complexity to a very robust program that's already been built and so no it's not it's not the end of the day it's not the end of the performance the performance hasn't even begun and i might find myself freaking out about the fact that you know i'm running a slight fever you know these days a slight fever means you don't get to compete because well covid but um, I think that more often than not, you almost never are looking at a perfect set of, set of circumstances on the day or on, uh, the, the moment where you, you have a chance to shine and a really quick, um, story on that would be, you know, my 2019 season. Um, I was going into my 2019 season, without a lot of funding I didn't have a really good idea for where I was going to land with coaching or training or or anything um, and it ended up being a conglomerate of different opportunities that allowed me to to race that season it also allowed me the chance to coach elite level athletes and that coaching was part of what supported my season financially and in that season I found myself more often than not coaching than I was actually training what I didn't realize was how much that coaching was actually helping my own individual process because everything I was trying to reinforce with these younger athletes who were also trying to accomplish the same sort of dream I was after all that reinforcement all that uh, backing them up and giving them a, a, a backstop to lean against that was actually supporting me in my process as well and so I didn't really have a ton of super consistent training that winter, but all of that mental training of reinforcing something for someone else, that, that was the biggest training that I got out of that season. And I had my best season and my best results of my career all while not getting what I had made up in my mind as like, well, it's not perfect because I haven't had a lot of on snow training. I haven't been able to just like snowboard for myself. But ultimately, what I realized was that that was not what I was lacking. I had had a ton of on snow training and, and the mental side of things, which was reinforced through coaching, ended up boosting me to some of my best results yet. Man, that's fascinating. That is really fascinating. And then and you said you you actually did some coaching as well, uh, working with other athletes that had to be interesting for you to be kind of competing, but also coaching at the same time. Yeah, it was, if anything, I mean, for me, you know, I go back to the things that worked best for me, what it really was for me was a focused surrender because my, my athletic mind, my, my competition mind was telling me, dude, there's no way you're going to show up to a professional race this year and do well because you haven't, you haven't put in the time on snow to be at the point where you can ride that well, that you can ride that fast and be competitive with the best in the world. Um, and so the focus surrender for me was, Hey, this is where we're at this is what we've had to do to make this season even possible because without these things, without these, these 
um, agreements to coach and to focus on others, I wouldn't have had the financial stability to be able to go travel across the world and compete in races. And all of a sudden I, you know, I, I popped a, a 13th on a world cup race in Switzerland. And it was like, wow, that's awesome. That's amazing. I, I'm so excited that that occurred. That's the highlight of my career so far made this whole season worthwhile. And then you fast forward two months to two other world cup events that happened in Canada. And on the first day of competition, I qualified fifth, ended up finishing 10th. And it was like, wow, whatever's going on this season for me, um, physically, mentally, spiritually is working. Got another race tomorrow. Showed up the next day, qualified 15th, ended up battling all the way to fourth place finish, best finish of my career. And while I was so hungry for a medal that day, I really wanted to be one, two, or three. Um, finishing fourth was was huge um, yeah. on the world on the world on the World Cup level. That that was, you know, again, so three different performances during a year where I had what I would have considered less than ideal training opportunities occurred and it really it kind of blew some holes through the paradigm of what I thought it took to to perform at that level and I think once you have the physical pieces in line once your body is physically ready to perform that well and once you you know whether you want to call it 10,000 hours to mastery or not once you've put in those hours which I got to be getting somewhere close to 10,000 hours maybe a little above maybe a little below but um, I think once you get there it becomes condensed to really what's going on in between your ears before, during, and after those 40 seconds where you need to perform at the best of your possible ability. Oof, man, that is a uh, powerful stuff. Uh, let me, let me, we've talked a lot about kind of current, uh, current competition or at least in recent years and everything, but I always like talking to people kind of about where they came from, what their background is like. So Robbie, if you will, uh, t- talk to me about, you know, where you grew up, uh, what it was like for you to, I don't know, did you play other sports? Uh, when did you get into snowboarding? What was kind of, uh, you know, leading into your high school years, uh, take us back to, uh, to back, uh, where you grew up and, um, yeah, t- 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 talk to us about uh, the beginning of your story. Yeah, you got it. So, uh, again, born and raised in Mount Shasta, California, raised into a, uh, Christian, uh, conservative household. Uh, had a really, really healthy, loving upbringing that taught me all the things that I think really can be cornerstones to whatever you want to achieve in life. And those things to me really were um, always, always try and live by the golden rule, you know, treat others the way that you would want to be treated. Uh, Really, uh, if you're going to start something, finish it. And if you're going to choose to endeavor your time and your energy in performing at something, work hard at it. If you work hard at it, win, lose, or draw, at the end of the day, you can look back and say, hey, I gave that a really good shot. Wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be, but uh, I can be proud of my performance. And that's going to help me, this performance, this, uh, this goal setting, and this, uh, this drive and this passion and motivation. These are things that are going to ultimately help you succeed in other areas of your life down the road. So those were things that I really appreciate about my family and my parents growing up that, that helped me. And I I think the one other thing is that no one ever told me not to dream. 
you know, no one ever said, oh yeah, you know, you, you might want to be a, an astronaut, but you know, that's, that's, that's pretty high rolling and it's going to be really hard to get. No one ever said that to me. No one ever said you can't do something. Um, everyone always said, Hey, if you want to do something, try work hard and see where you get. And, and that, that is probably one of the biggest things that I appreciate about, yeah, my parents, my family is just dream big, go after what you want to go after. Don't look back and, and work your butt off to get whatever you want. Um, I played all sorts of sports growing up, you know, baseball, tennis, rock climbing, golf, football, basketball. I wanted to get my hands on anything because I love movement. I love sport and I love competition. And I think competition more than anything was, was one of my big driving factors because I just loved the process of trying to get better. Of course, with the, the end goal really being, I want to be the best at what I'm doing, but just wanting to compete and wanting to perform um, has always been a big part of my life, regardless of sport, you know, whether I'm in a job at a desk or out in the woods fighting fire or, or a number of different things, I want to be able to do that proficiently. And I want to be able to do it to the best of my ability uh, to support whatever the ultimate goal is. Um, so yeah, sports played a huge role in my life growing up. Um, had some, uh, some childhood trauma that occurred when I was younger and, you know, without going too in depth of, of what exactly that was, uh, it was something that at a very young age, I had, I had chosen and decided and promised myself that, you know, I never really wanted to talk about this. I never really wanted to, um, open up about it and, and Yeah, so I, I really, uh, I, I made a pact with myself that I wasn't going to discuss uh, what had occurred and how it occurred and when it occurred. And and that, more than anything, kind of just fueled my desire for performance because I didn't want anybody to think there was anything wrong with me. I wanted people to see this young, um, well-off athlete who was just trying his best to get good grades and... Um, have good performances and, and be a part of a community. And, and so that really started an unhealthy pattern for me of trying to perform for others and trying to perform so that people wouldn't question who I was or where I had been or what happened to me. Um, and I bring this up because uh, mental health has, has been a huge conversation piece for me. It's something I'm very passionate about and uh, it's something I've struggled with. And in those struggles have learned a lot about myself, a lot about life and a lot about performance and passion and motivation and hunger. Uh, so it's been not only one of the most challenging things for me, but it's also been one of the most fruitful uh, learning opportunities for me throughout my life. So, you know, you put this all together, you've got a young athlete uh, who really likes to work hard, who really wants to perform. I found snowboarding at a young age my mom had me up skiing between her legs when I was two years old and about time I was seven snowboarding was getting really popular and I was begging my parents for a snowboard and a close, close friend of mine, uh, his father was the uh, head coach for the Alpine ski and snowboard racing program at a local high school. And we were both homeschooled, um, through a, a Christian homeschool group and, uh, meant we had a lot of time on our hands. So when we were done with our school, we were able to go do other things like sports yeah. and his dad, his dad, was like, hey, you know what? You guys should should come up and uh, watch 
watch this race. It's going to be pretty cool. And, you know, maybe you'll see some things you like. And so I went up there and I, I watched my first snowboard race and I, I was just enamored with it. I was like, I don't know what it's going to take for me to figure out how to get one of those snowboards that they're on or how to figure out what they're doing. But I just want to do that with all of my heart. And it was a very, very, uh, it was very, very clear to me, even at a young age that, that I wanted to pursue this. And so, you know, begging my parents for the equipment that I would need and um, convincing the local coaches to let me work out with the high school team and the, the college and just try and start training as soon as I could. And it also helped that there was a uh, athlete who was older than me from our hometown here in Mount Shasta, who was uh, farther along in his career um, out of high school and pursuing an Olympic berth in Alpine snowboarding. So I had a lot of things that were really pushing me in this direction. And at the same time, I was from a middle-class family in Northern California that couldn't necessarily afford uh, to put me into all of the positions that would, would be ideal for, for um, trying to go after this. And while that could have easily been enough for me to say, oh, well, I guess, I guess I'll just do tennis, you know, because I, I really like tennis. Um, it was clear to me that I wanted to figure out a way, uh, some way to do this. And so I just, I kept working and practicing at getting better at snowboarding and uh, I progressed quickly. Um, I've been blessed with natural athletic ability and talent and a body that allows me to go after sports and, and progress at them. And I basically used whatever time I had to focus on snowboarding and ended up getting a, a national championship for an age group class when I was in high school, uh, which just furthered my fire to keep going. And, um, uh, right around the same time that that was occurring, my pact with myself, my promise to myself that I would never talk about um, what had occurred in my childhood was slowly starting to creep up from behind. And as that started to creep up, it was trying to find ways to, to, to get out of me. It's like, hey, this is a problem. Like you need to, you need to talk about these things. It's important. And, and I, I was young. I, I didn't have the, the mental fortitude or the knowledge base that I have now. And I just kept slamming the door on it and saying, nope, nope, I'm not going to talk about this. And you get into high school, um, you start getting different experiences. I'm no longer homeschooled. I'm no longer in the care of my parents so much. And um, partying came up, you know, uh, you want to go to a party and, you know, maybe drink some beers and do this or that. And um, so all of a sudden this world of alcohol and drugs came in and I, I tried it for the first time. And I was like, man, this, this really helps with uh, the feelings that I have about, um, you know, my childhood trauma. And, and so I found this outlet that, you know, arguably one of the most unhealthy outlets, drinking alcohol that really helped me just keep showing up. It's like, yeah, if I can do this every once in a while, I can keep showing up. And that more or less followed me, you know, throughout the entirety of my life so far in different ways. Um, and it caught up to me at times, you know, I got into some trouble when I was in high school and I ended up, I ended up getting sent to a therapeutic boarding school where I was going to get the opportunity to have therapy and finish my high school diploma at the same time. And it wasn't until I was right around my 18th birthday that I had the opportunity to finally um, release some of the pressure from those, those secrets that I'd been hiding for a long time. 
And when I did, it, it definitely made a huge difference in uh, every aspect of my life. You know, all the mental pieces started to really fall into place about like, oh, I don't have to feel horrible about this. I, I can talk about it. I can, there's safe places where I, can, where I can be accepted and understood and loved and nourished in spite of the feelings of self-loathing that I've kept hidden inside for a long time. And that really right around my 18th birthday started this process that I truly believe will be a process I'm still working with for the rest of my life, but um, really turned a corner for me in terms of understanding patterns of action and where they come from and how sometimes we're doing things subconsciously that are, that are defeating us, even if we feel like they're helping us. And so working through that um, has been a challenge and a blessing of my life. And it's also been one of the biggest motivators. Um, always feeling like I was fighting an uphill battle is something that I can remember as far back as my memory goes, is really feeling like, man, I feel like I could be really good at this sport, but I don't feel like I have the support to do so. Like I, I, I don't have the money to go do the, the training that I need to, or to go compete in the races nationally and internationally that I need to go to. And it wasn't until, you know, after my year of therapy that really helped uh, turn some things around for me and then going to college and really wanting to accomplish that goal that I, I even had uh, a remote chance of being able to uh, pursue snowboarding the way I wanted to for, you know, it had been like 15 years of really just wanting to pursue this thing and not having a clear direction of what that looked like. So after college, uh, I in college, I won two national championships for the University of Idaho in alpine snowboarding. And again, just more green lights for me that said, hey, you should really go pursue this thing. You have the ability to, uh, you have the ability to snowboard well, you're talented, you clearly want to do it. So let's, let's figure out how to do it. And what that looked like for me was graduating college. Um, I was looking for a job that was going to allow me to make some money in the summer that I didn't need to worry about in the winter. And I graduated with two degrees in forestry and wildland fire ecology and immediately started applying to wildland fire modules in California to fight wildland fire in the summer, save up some money and figure out how to train in the winter. And that's more or less what I've been doing for the last 10 years of my life. Uh, since graduating college is uh, getting a job as a wildland seasonal wildland firefighter working um, between 600 and a thousand hours of overtime each summer uh, to put away some money and then uh, focus on my training in the winter and try to progress as much as I possibly can each year um, towards my goals and it was really clear to me that the biggest goal I had um, from from the time I started was I, I wanted to go to the Olympics and I wanted to win a medal and so those things have stuck with me through thick and thin, um, through the mental health battles, through, um, you know, the depression and, you know, choosing to take steps to get support from Western medicine to help mitigate or alleviate some of those challenges of uh, depression and anxiety. And it's been a whirlwind of a process that's involved traveling all across the world to compete doing something I love, which is a tremendous blessing, working really hard to fight fire in the summer to save money so I could do so, um, going after sponsorships, going after uh, support, doing fundraisers. I'm putting a fundraiser on here in 10 days in Mount Shasta uh, to support my run to this next Olympics. 
And so all those things have just really been, you know, the compilation of my life and my experience of it has really been that, man, life is, life is hard. Life is challenging. It's never straightforward. It's never, it's not always clear. There's not always a path. There's not always a light on. And um, what, what I've learned and what has been, you know, my rock and my anchor through all that, definitely my faith in God. Um, has helped me to really have something to go back to when I feel unclear, when I feel lost. And, you know, for me, probably one of the more challenging parts of my um, spiritual relationship with, with God is uh, really surrendering to him. Because a lot of the time, I don't want to surrender. A lot of time, I want to just push forward, put my head down, grab my shield, and just start running. Because I know what I want, but I, it's unclear of how to get there, how to do it. and and really you know, tying to bridge the gap between my spiritual life, which is very important to me and, and my, my Olympic journey and my Olympic pursuit is, I already told you one of the the biggest uh, mental hurdles that I got over and something that really helped me was learning to appreciate, understand, and use focus surrender. And what I'm learning as I get older is that that same surrender that I'm trying to um, give to give to myself before I go try to perform at the best of my ability. That that's the same surrender that I have the opportunity to give to 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 God each and every day um, in the challenges, um, in in the things I'm scared of. You know, I think everybody's scared of something. Uh, I'm scared that uh, I'm scared of the next five months. You know, I, I have fears over the next five months. What they're going to look like? How it's all going to add up? Am I going to get to go to the Olympics? I don't know. I don't know the answers to any of those things. I know I've worked really hard to try and get there and it's been an incredible journey and an incredible process that I wouldn't trade for for anything and I'm super thankful to to be standing here today and to have you know made it through the trials and the tribulations that have more or less made up my journey through life and I'm still here and I still get to work hard and I still get to help others in that process and that to me is you know really important regardless of what happens in February. Uh, just that, that, you know, life and my identity is bigger than, than this journey to the Olympics. Well, I hope honestly, Robbie, a lot of people who listen to this are, are as inspired as I am. Cause I'm ready to, I'm ready to go take on the world right now, man. I got to tell you uh, <laughs> with your story, your motivation, I, I really, I'm, I'm ready. I got to do something today. I'm, I got all this nervous energy. I need to go unleash, but uh, an amazing, amazing story. Uh, I mean, fighting fires in the summer outside of snowboard training. I mean, uh, what a, what a life, man. What? So, I mean, I was going to say, what do you do in the off season? You know, I, I fight fires. I mean, are you still still doing those things? Still, uh, I'm, I missed the ter- the exact terminology you said exactly, but wilderness fires—is that what you were saying? Yeah, definitely wilderness fires, and uh, yeah, you know, it's um, it's it's just one of those things. Uh, fighting fire to me is it, it's extremely challenging. It's it's uh, it's doing a bunch of things that it seems like people probably don't want to do uh, day in and day out. <laughs> Uh, and doing them because it's important you know it's like we're living in a world now where the houses and the homes they're they're not just on the edge of the forest they're in the forest and the forest they need some help and and when these fires start you know someone's got to go out there and, and try and do something about them and and to me 
you know, it's an honor just to get to, uh, to show up side by side with the rest of the, the rest of the brothers that I get to fight fire with and, and go out there and, and really get our butts kicked, honestly, because we're, we're doing something that, that, uh, it's physically exhausting. It's mentally exhausting. And, and it's, um, to me, there's, there's probably not many better, you know, with the exception of the armed forces, which you can't just do for six months. There's not too many other jobs that I think can prepare you mentally for the, the trials of being an athlete. Um, you know, if, if you can, if you can consistently put your nose to the grindstone and come out the other side and learn something from it, I think that for me, at least I've always been a hard learner. You know, I'm not, I'm not the guy who's going to look at a situation all the time and tell you the easiest way to get it done. I will get it done for you. And I'll probably have to work my butt off to do it because I'm a hard learner, man. I don't, I don't get the, I've never gotten the easy passes. I've never gotten the, Oh man, it makes way more sense. It would be smarter to do it that way and easier and still get the same result. Like I've done things a thousand times and I've done them a thousand different ways. And sure. I definitely learned from it in the process, but you know, that that's, that's what, what life has been for me. It's, it's been figure out how to get something done and you might not know how to do it. You might not do it right the first time, but trial and error, you know, you got to keep going back to it. And um, so yeah, fighting fire is maybe not the most ideal thing for an athlete in the summer. It would be, be much more ideal to be in the gym for six hours a day and focusing completely on my diet and hydration and, you know, just preparing mentally for, for the, the season ahead. But if I had to come up with a close second to what perfect mental training and perfect physical training would look like in the summer, I think fighting fire is a pretty darn good uh, test of will. Yeah. Well, especially, yeah. Wilderness, of course. I mean, California is all kinds of fires all the time. <laughs> so hey, God bless you, man. That, that's awesome. So they're cool. Hey, you're cool. They're cool with you saying, Hey, I got to go to Canada for this competition uh, this weekend or whatever. They're just like, yeah, hey, yeah, go ahead, Robbie, do your thing. Well, that's, that's the, the cool part about wildland fire is, uh, you know, there aren't any wildland fires in the winter for works the most out, part. Works out perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you take a seasonal job and you're, you're gainfully employed for six to eight months. And then at the end of those six to eight months, they cut you loose and say, Hey, we'll see you back here in, you know, four to six months, uh, be ready to work and be in shape. And so, you know, for me, it, it really works out because snowboarding in the winter keeps me in shape for fighting fire in the summer and fighting fire in the summer more or less keeps me in shape for snowboarding in the winter. Wow. What a life. What a life indeed. Uh, I, I thought we'd, we'd finish here, Robbie, with a few random uh, rapid fire questions. No pun intended. Of course, uh, I didn't prepare you for these, but I just kind of came up with them as we're as we're chatting here, uh, let me make sure I wrote down uh, these uh, just real quick while they're on my, my mind here. But okay, uh, let's jump into this here. Uh, okay, you do a lot of training. You talked about your diet. You talked about nutrition and this and that. Okay, what is, what is that one food, maybe a couple, that uh, you, you try not to, to partake in, but you know, when you're, when you're taking a break from training, you indulge a little bit, what's that one food that you kind of look most forward to, uh, when you're not like very strict on yourself? Oh man. Well, the, the blanket statement to that would be sweets, you know, and the blessing and the curse there is that as an athlete, uh, a lot of times you have to rely on glucose and sugar, um, to make it through athletic pursuits is because there's just there there's no there's no more efficient or faster way to fuel your body so on race days we do get to you know consume those 
electrolyte drinks and those sugars because they're they rapidly onset and they change your blood sugar so fast for me coca-cola man coca-cola is like it's 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 my it's my one thing that i like i always want to have it um but for the most part i just choose to drink lacroix water because it gives me the carbonation i love carbonation and <laughs> then i'm just drinking water so i usually crack open my lacroix i usually crack open like eight to ten lacroix a day and I'm just sitting there thinking like, man, it sure be nice if this was a Coke. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, and it's interesting, your, your competition, you know, and, and uh, went, it's a winter sport. So, you know, it's tough to, we're, we're, we're right around the corner from Halloween. There's candy, uh, November, you got uh, pies everywhere and, and pastries and then Christmas, of course, Christmas cookies everywhere. So all kinds of sweets uh, surrounding you as you're preparing for your uh for your competition and everything, but yeah, I, I I'm with you. I try to stay away from Coke, but man, a Coca-Cola sometimes it just it hits the spot. Okay. Yep. Very nice. Um, you've, you've traveled, you've competed in, in different places, different countries. Uh, what, where is a place that sticks out to you, uh, when you're on the top of that Hill or, or wherever, maybe, uh, you know, the, the bottom of the Hill, just, you look around and you're like, uh, the scenery, the best, you know, for, for lack of a better term, the best stadium, you know, you know what I'm trying to say? Uh, the best scenery of, of a place you've competed uh, throughout your years. Yeah, it's a pretty easy one. Um, the number one in my mind is always going to be Cortina, Italy. Uh, just as It's just this, this small Italian Valley uh, with a lot of heritage, a lot of history and the Dolomite mountains and the way that they just protrude from the landscape and the color, this deep, deep, burnt orange and when you're in that valley uh the race happens at night so qualification happens the sun's still got like two hours before it goes down and you know it's usually bluebird there when we compete in december uh, it's one of the first stops on the world cup tour and you just get to watch this sunset over this beautiful valley and then the lights of the race run start to overtake everything and just that that meeting of where you know the the sun is going down and all of a sudden the lights of the run and there's just this feeling there's so much anticipation. That's my number one. And my number two would be uh school Switzerland, uh, which is a race that happens in the morning. And it's just this incredible view from the top of a mountain and surrounded by thousands of other mountains in the distance in the Alps in Western Europe. And they're all snow covered. And it's just, there's so much power in those mountains and that it just, you, you can't be anything other than in awe and just like, wow, I get to I get to go do what I love. I get to go snowboard professionally and pull out of a start gate in this office space. And it's, it's just epic. <laughs> Outstanding. Uh, well, not to bring up any painful memories, uh, pun, no, pun definitely intended there, but you talked about uh, health a lot, but what about, I mean, physical injuries have has there been any uh, painful moments for you where you've crashed and burned and and, and you know maybe have uh you know you, you twisted an ankle have you broken bones i mean uh, it, it looks scary what you guys do at the speed in which you do it so have there been any uh scary moments for you where you've crashed definitely um crashing is always a challenge because you know you you, you realize early on that um getting to your fastest riding or your best performances is really, it's a compound effect. And so, you know, you think about it when you're laying bricks, you know, or to, to build a triangle, you know, you build that base and then you just start adding to it. And each time you have a successful day on snow, you're adding to it. 
And it's hard to have a big crash occur in the midst of those and really look at it and go, man, are all the bricks bricks blown away? Like, where do I have to start from now? Because I'm, I'm timid mentally. Um, my body hurts. How do I, how do I progress past this, this blip that's happened? I've been lucky in my snowboard career to only really have two injuries, one that's more serious than the other, but the first one would be uh, shattering a, a joint on my finger um, and having to go through the whole business of um, getting that repaired and, and just, you know, you, you get, you get hurt and you're like, sweet, I'm hurt. Now I'm going to start healing, but man, it, it's a long process of the recovery. And you think, well, a finger, that's not really important to snowboarding, but it's any part of your body that hurts. or that is, um, you know, hurt to the point of needing surgery or some sort of repairs, like it's going to take you a long time to get back to the confidence of being able to ride with that. Uh, so I have my, my one finger, that's, that's about all the range of motion I have out of it, but it works and I'm fully confident in it. Um, so there's that. And then there's uh, the concussion aspect, which is definitely more of a concern in our sport. And I think sports these days is, uh, you know, the effect and role that concussions play in, uh, the performances of a given year, but also, you know, just the, um, the quality of life and, and what it could mean, you know, in the future. So there's definitely some concerns there. I've hit my head a few times and had some pretty serious concussions and definitely something to be taken very seriously. And it's one of those things, you know, it's a, it's a job hazard and we're all responsible for doing our own job hazard analysis and figuring out, you know, what we're willing to do to, to, to keep working towards that best performance. And, for me, um, I still feel like I can think pretty good. I can see pretty good. Um, so I'm going to keep going, but, uh, yeah, concussions, man, they're brutal and they, they deserve a lot more respect and attention in science, uh, a lot, a lot more than they, they've gotten. Yeah. Unfortunately, my coordination isn't too great. I've, I've had a few snowboarding injuries myself, hurt my leg one time. Daily had a concussion one time from going off this, this, uh, this baby little ramp hill or whatever. Anyway, Stupid stuff. I was much younger and uh, yeah, I, I'm fine, but still, I don't know how you guys do it yet. Cause I, I fell down and hurt myself. I'm like, Oh man, how do these professional athletes do this flying down a hill? So uh, interesting stuff there for sure. Uh, you, you talk so much about training and motivation and preparation and fighting fires and traveling, but uh, outside of all that, when you get some time to yourself, what do you like to, what are some hobbies you like to do? Do you follow other sports? Are you, uh, what are some things you like to do on the side when, when you do get a, a free moment, which I'm sure aren't, aren't many, you know, it's a great question. Um, the, the default answer, which is going to sound silly is, uh, I, I can't seem to spend too many days off without going to the gym. Uh, the gym in and of itself is like a meditation to me, you know, regardless of what I'm doing in there, it could just be stretching. But uh, getting into the gym is an anchor that really supports my mental health. Uh, and it, it is probably something that I, I hope that I'm going to just do for the rest of my life, regardless of intensity. You know, you don't always need to be a professional athlete intense in the gym, but getting, getting in there and putting in some, some effort really helps me and irons out the rest of the craziness in my life. Um, I love fishing, all sorts of fishing salmon fishing, bass fishing, trout fishing, fly fishing. So any chance I get to, uh, to go out and, and put a line in the water and catch some fish is really fun. I'm really passionate about hunting and I haven't gotten to do it because uh, the fall, the, the time when I would normally be out hunting for, for deer or elk or, or any other animal, uh, 
I just, that's when I'm the busiest for my sport. So I really look forward to eventually getting back to doing that more. I have an incredible couple of nieces and nephews that they just, they're growing up and they're growing up so fast. And I I'm gone for most of the year, every year. And then when I'm back, it's like, I'm looking at a different human. It's still the same beautiful little heart and soul in there, but it's like, they're six inches taller. They weigh a lot more. They don't want to be picked up anymore. And I'm pretty in love with the process of just being able to show up for them in the, in the ways that I can and, and be a part of their lives. And, uh, I'm really passionate about coaching. So I don't know what that's going to look like in the future, but I do want to, uh, to do a good, a good bit more of that. And I'm not sure what level that would be at, what sport it's going to be in, but I, I feel really passionate about, um, supporting athletes in, in the place that they're in, whether they're, whether they're in kindergarten and learning flag football or, you know, a college football team or, you know, any, any number of things that I feel like I could, uh, could be a value in. I want to, I want to try and, uh, yeah, help other athletes do what what I what I tried to do. What That's I did. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, out, outdoorsman, good stuff up there. Of course, yeah, fishing and hunting, plenty of a uh, opportunity up there in Northern California, Mount Shasta. Uh, let me see. Okay, um, last thought at the top of the hill before you start the race, and first thought when you get to the bottom at the end of the race. <laughs> so uh the, the last the last thing i do before i get in the gate um is is um it's a mantra it's a it's an i am statement and uh it's done while while tapping and so i tap the different places on my body um on my face on my hands um and i finish with my heart and um, I am grounded. I am confident. I'm clear. Mm. And so I'm tapping and I'm, I'm just living into that mantra, you know, three to five times. It's always a little bit different because sometimes races are moving faster, sometimes a little bit slower, but pretty much from the last three to five minutes that I'm about to get into the start gate, um, I'm buckling my boots and I'm, I'm tapping my heart and I'm, I'm just trying to tap into that mantra of really affirming for myself, the things that I feel allow me to perform freely and to perform in flow. Um, the first thought when I get to the bottom of the hill, man, that one changes. It really does. <laughs> the first, the, the first thing I do is I take a deep breath. Um, I usually take a deep breath and I pull my gloves off and, uh, my mind's usually blank. And I would say my mind being blank is really a, uh, a testament to, whether or not I was able to achieve flow. Cause if I'm going through the race course, like, man, that turn sucked, that one sucked. Then clearly I'm not doing what I wanted to do. And, uh, yeah. So at the bottom, I would say a deep breath and gratitude for just the opportunity to perform. Love it. I love it. Good stuff. Indeed. Uh, Robbie, uh, ba- uh, other sports, are you a baseball fan at all? Heck yeah. I love the giants. Okay. That's why I bring it up. Cause this episode <laughs> will be out in a few weeks. Uh, but tonight is game five Dodgers giants. Who do you up in uh, San Fran? Uh, who, who, who do you got? I think I know who you, who you got here. Uh, what do you make of the series so far? And, uh, how, how, how confident are you in your, in your giants, AKA the hated ones from us, uh, Dodger fans down here in Southern California. <laughs> 
You know, I'm pretty confident in my Giants. Uh, I'm a big fan. I have been since I was a little kid. It was so cool to watch them go win a couple pennants. And, you know, just just seeing, like, the way that teams rise and fall, you know, seeing seeing the energy levels and the management and the amount of money pumped into the teams and the amount of talent that's on those teams is, like, I, I've got mad respect for anybody that makes it into the big leagues in any sport. Like, just huge respect because I, I can see from the outside and from my own experience of life and sport how – how challenging it can be. And it's even more mind blowing me to see that, that these guys have families, you know, they have kids, they have a wife, they have a home, they have a family that they're going home to, 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 to put roots down. And it's so easy for us to see them as, you know, Oh, just, you know, shortstop for the giants. Yeah. He's pretty cool. He's an amazing athlete, but no, he's a dad too. You know, he's got three or four kids that are showing up to his baseball games and like, how cool is that? How cool is it that he's doing all that? Uh, so I'm pretty confident the, the Giants are, are going to work their way all the way to the top this year. And I look forward to watching it. Yeah, I always have to remind Dodger fans, you know, who are like, oh, they hate the Giants and that. And, and I was raised that way too. But hey, those, those three World Series in five years were just so painful for, for, for me. As a, <laughs> I go, they got that. I just, what can you say? You got to catch them. You got to catch them. So it should be a great game tonight. I'm actually off. I'm able to sit and watch it. So it uh, should be a lot of fun. That rivalry is so special. Uh, I mean, I mean, it started 3000 miles away and for it to come across the, uh, across the country, uh, Dodgers giants is a, uh, is a real deal. I can't believe they're in the playoffs. This, this sure is something. So hopefully you can enjoy the Pretty game. Cool. It's history. History. <laughs> Absolutely. I love how other athletes talk about other athletes too, at the professional level. Like it's, it's cool to see that, that, uh, you know, observation of, of, uh, competitive greatness. So can't wait for the game tonight. It should be fun. And lastly, Robbie, what would it mean for you? to wear the red, white, and blue in the Olympics to represent the United States of America and compete uh, at the highest stage, something you have been pursuing uh, your entire life. What would it mean uh, as far as representing our country uh, in the Olympics? It would mean everything to me. Uh, You know, it's, uh, It's such a it's such a fickle thing, you know, thinking about just how big how big of an opportunity it is and how cool it is and how much of a blessing it is to be where I am today and to have this opportunity. And um, for sure, it would reinforce a lot for me um, and it would it would definitely be a, a strong indicator of of the processes and the beliefs and the life that I've tried to live to get there. And you know, I don't think that my belief in those things is going to go away, win, lose, or draw, whether I go or not. But um, I would be so tremendously honored to to wear the stars and stripes and perform to the best of my ability and represent my country, but also, you know, my hometown and my friends and my family and everyone. Really, you know, I I, I think it even transcends the 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 United States in in that sense of like. getting that getting that opportunity i think can mean something to to everybody across the world you know i I don't think it's just our country i think it's like wow like that person worked hard and they worked through a lot of things and they accomplished what they set out to accomplish and that to me is like i I think one i think that's one of the existential questions about life you know what do you want to work for what do you want to suffer for Mm -hmm. and 
who do you want to do it with? And I want to do it. I want to do it. And I want everybody to hopefully be able to uh, be a part of it. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you, Robbie. You have a new fan here and I'm sure you got many more new fans uh, who are going to listen to this podcast and uh, just cheering you, hoping you nothing but the best and, and can't wait for you to get that opportunity. And uh, yeah, we'll all be watching closely uh, man I, i've never watched much snowboarding but you know what i, I will now i i'll definitely <laughs> the winter olympics come around i'll be looking for that robbie burns so thank you so much thanks for sharing your story sharing just kind of what goes behind um uh, everything in your competition this has been a tremendous honor and a privilege to uh, to chat with you awesome matt likewise it's been a pleasure i appreciate you reaching out and uh have a good time watching the game tonight thanks for the opportunity <laughs> you got it robbie take care well, I definitely have the chills a little bit here uh, in the podcast studio, not just from the snowboarding and uh, snow, snow talk, really. But, uh, man, what, what an amazing story. Inspiring, indeed. Robbie Burns, I, I tell you, man, I'll be pulling for you uh, in, in the upcoming uh, few months here. I hope we see you in the Olympics. I'm confident we will. And, uh, man, I'm just USA. U.S. Let's go, Robbie. Let's go, Robbie Burns. That's going to be awesome to see. And and when when you guys do see him in the Olympics, you can be like, hey, he, that's the guy who was on the Get Home Safe podcast months ago. No, Robbie, uh, congrats with all you have achieved for all you will achieve. And uh, yeah, thank you for being a, a firefighter, man. I mean, just outside of being a, a, a professional competitor, I mean, to fight fires also, I mean, what a life he's lived in and just somebody that is truly, truly inspiring. I got to tell you guys, I, I do this podcast for moments like today, when I just get to have a conversation with someone and learn about them and just something that motivates me and others. I mean, this is just, this is just so much fun, man. When you talk about having a hobby to, to, to be able to do this is just so incredible. So I, I am already ready and excited for my very next interview with someone because I, I just learn so many things about how to uh, be better myself as a person and, and just, uh, ways to be motivated and, and inspired. So I can't say it enough. That was so much fun. Robbie Burns, wishing you nothing but the best, man. God bless you. And uh, yeah, we will be watching. Well, guys, I'll wrap up this week's episodes, uh, week of episodes, I should say. Uh, we'll have to see what happens. Well, this episode will be out in a few weeks, but we'll see what happens with that Dodger Giants game. Uh, anyway, <laughs> that'll be uh, weeks, weeks behind. But anyway, um, it's been a pleasure bringing you some more shows here on the Get Home Safe podcast. As a friendly reminder, follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as our email address, gethomesafepodcast at yahoo.com. If you have some topics, some questions, some content you want to throw our way, could be anything, could be totally random. Uh, I'm all about it. As you know, uh, in the fall, we've been doing the Real Hondo Prep recap show for the football program. Wednesdays is just me for about 30, 40 minutes rambling about uh, sports topics and some randomness and Fridays, of course, was our special guest uh, each and every week, a long form conversation like you heard today. So that's the schedule. That's the format. Follow us on YouTube, subscribe, wherever you listen to podcasts, uh, all that good stuff. We appreciate it. The YouTube channel is, uh, is alive and well here as well as our uh, podcast episodes going out to various, uh, various platforms indeed. So uh, thanks again, Robbie Burns. That was a lot of fun. I'm ready for, Pretty much anything now. I'm ready and, and inspired in, in many ways. So, guys, have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday for the Real Hondo Prep uh, radio uh, show, the radio network if we should recap show, football show. And uh, But, guys, have a great weekend. But until then, guys, as always, no matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or around in third base, get home safe.